Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brad Sabota Kindle, SVP of Product and Programming with ACFCS, and it's no exaggeration to say that things are really moving fast in the world of payments in more ways than one. One fairly recent example of this rapid change is the Real-Time Payments, or RTP, network run by The Clearinghouse, a banking association and payments firm owned by some of the largest commercial banks. The RTP by The Clearinghouse is still a relative newcomer at five years old, and it's gaining users as more and more banks begin to offer real-time payments to customers. Does this mean that these banks also open themselves up to new fraud risks? Does the old adage that faster payments inevitably means faster fraud hold true? Well, not necessarily, but institutions will need a strategy and strong controls to avoid that outcome. Fortunately, here to help with that aspect is Eric Choltis, Director of Global Product Management in the Payments Fraud World with Bottomline. Eric describes the key players and rails in the expanding real-time payments ecosystem with a look at the RTP network by the Clearinghouse, lessons learned from other jurisdictions outside the U.S. that have already adopted RTP, and the ingredients of a successful fraud prevention program when implementing real-time. Well, Eric, thank you very much for being here on the Financial Crimecast uh, always a pleasure to have these conversations around the fraud topic. Um, a lot going on in this space right now. So uh, pleasure to have you here. And thanks for taking the time to, to speak with us. Of course. Thanks, Brian. Happy to be here. And if you don't mind, uh, by starting out as just a way of introduction, do you mind uh, uh, telling our listeners a little bit about who you are and your role at Bottom Line? Sure thing. My name is Eric Schultes. And uh I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, but I'm originally from Montreal, Canada, um, but we've been here for just about 20 years. Um, that entire time I've been in the either banking or fintech space in uh, you know, different and various product management roles. But um, in my current role, I work for Bottom Line, which is um, basically a, you know, an innovative fintech uh, focused on uh, business payments and specifically the like the transformation of business payments. And my role is to lead global product management for our commercial payment fraud um, uh, detection and monitoring solutions. So uh, yeah, that's what I do. Great. Appreciate that intro. And uh, thanks again for being here. So let's Let's start off with just a conversation around what we're talking about, um, and that it specifically is real-time payments. Um, this has been evolving for really years or maybe, depending on your jurisdiction, decades at this point. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of this terminology in some ways. I think here in the U.S. where I'm located, we're a little bit behind the rest of the world, so it might be a little bit newer for some of our folks out there. Um, so let's start off with that point. Let's just talk about what exactly we're, we mean when we're saying real-time payments and some of the key rails that those payments are moving over. Do you mind walking us through that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a key question and important that we all kind of baseline on, on what these are. Um, you know the the term real time payments kind of gets thrown around a lot, um, but but there are some clear characteristics and definitions of of real time payments. 
Um, but you know, often it's used interchangeably, uh, like faster payments. Um, so people like Notch's same day ACH, it, it posts and settles payments faster than like traditional payment rails, but it's not instantaneous. And so technically it's not a, a real-time payment. So the way I would, you know, not just I, but the industry defines a real-time payment is, is really four characteristics. Like the speed of the, of the payment is measured in seconds for, uh, for clearing and settling. The availability is 24 seven, uh, 365 days a year. It's instant confirmation and it's irrevocable, meaning it's, it's final. It can't be, uh, withdrawn. So that's, those are really the common characteristics and what really defines real time payments. And you're right. You kind of alluded to it in your, the, the first real-time payment system was developed in the 1970s in Japan, actually. And uh, fast forward to 2023, there are now 56 countries that have an activated real-time payment system. Um, it's somewhere around there. It might be a, a little more, a little less, but somewhere in the in the 50s. And the, the biggest real-time payment rails would be... Um, there's IVPS in China, a uh, bunch of acronyms going to throw at you here, but IMPS in India, there's CITAF, S-I-T-A-F in Brazil, there's faster payments in the UK, um, and uh, well, can't ignore Europe, there's SEPA Instant uh, in Europe, that dates back to 2017, and then of course, the one we're going to zoom in on today, there's um, you know, TCH, the Clearinghouse RTP network. America uh, as well, and many more, but I would say those are some of the biggest ones. Yeah, thank you for that. That was an excellent global tour of the uh, the real time payments ecosystem. And you're right; it's uh, it's been in development for for quite some time. Um, a lot of lessons learned along the way, which hopefully you know here in the U.S. again adopting this later than some other countries, um, or at least in a different way than some other countries, we may may be able to learn from that. So so let's let's talk about that in a little bit more detail then. Um, you know, given that there has been this this development of real time payments ecosystems for for decades, um, obviously, anytime there's a new financial technology that becomes widely adopted, it has some advantages that drive that adoption. So, what are the advantages of real time payments, and you know what what kind of uh, adoption have we seen to date? You know, both in the U.S. and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the real advantage, if I were to boil it down to one word, the real advantage is innovation. You mean, I, I like to think of it as, as a user payments on the consumer side, you know, I, I focus um, on commercial, but on the consumer side, I, and we, I'm sure you and most of our listeners uh, are using real-time payments every day. And you think about some of the capabilities we have today that we didn't have uh, 10, 20 years ago, the way we can pay our friends and businesses, the way you can even tip a provider if you want to, uh, uh, or even a busker on the street, the way you, uh, that food delivery drivers are getting paid and ride sharing. Those are all innovations that that were fueled in part by the ability to pay very, very quickly. 
Um, and you know, on, uh, from a business to business perspective, it's about as close as you can get to, to handing someone straight up cash. And that's really important for businesses when you think about it, because cash flow is, is, is critical to a business. If they can eliminate checks and the amount of time it takes to clear a check, you know, you think about it. If you're a business and you have to make a hundred thousand dollar payment and you're going to do that via check, you gotta you gotta write the check. You gotta cash in, in the account days in advance. If it can be done, you know, immediately on the morning that uh, the payment needs to be made, that's you know five days, uh, sometimes more, that you can utilize those funds for for other things. And so it's it has massive advantages. Um, you know, so that's just kind of from a personal and a use case perspective, but. But of course, the the real advantages, you know, when you break it down, the 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 features and the capabilities of of real time payments, the real advantages are are speed, ease, convenience, communication. We'll talk about that a little bit as well in terms of like some of the the communication ability that's been created uh, with some of these rails. Um, but you also have security, cash flow, like we talked about, and then and then cost. These these are often much than uh, other forms of payments, like like wires, for example. So just you know, your the your last point around uh, global adoption. Uh, if I compare 2021 to 2026, so over a five year. They're forecasting uh, almost a, a 4x growth, uh, four times growth in uh, real-time transactions globally. So that's going from, um, uh, well, up to, to 430 billion real-time transactions in, in 2026. So over uh, five years' time, so that's four times. And the, and the highest, the countries with the highest volumes probably wouldn't surprise you because it's kind of correlated to population, but is uh, India, China, Thailand uh, would be the the top three in terms of already using uh, uh, real time uh, transactions, but the ones top growth uh, over that same five year period would be South and Central America, uh, and then Middle East, Africa, Asia, and then uh, North America coming in third at thirty percent growth over the over that five year period. Yeah, that's a that's some some major major global expansion there, and you know I think you you made a number of really interesting points related to um, the benefits of real time payments and the cost and accessibility issue. I think is really important when we looked at developing regions like India. You know, huge explosion in uh, the ability to adopt uh, real time payments on you know mobile devices in India. Um, and for you know small vendors, small businesses, sole proprietors, merchants, et cetera, this is a huge advantage, right? Um, and that that's true in other regions too. Just you know picking picking out one area, um, but those same factors I think are are very true for uh, for other places too. So um, so yeah, thank you for thank you for that, and thank you for that look at adoption. Now with adoption comes challenges too. I don't want to uh, pretend that it's all you know sunshine and roses, and we'll absolutely get to the the fraud risk in just a minute. But uh, to zoom in on on one of the elements that we're going to be focusing on in this podcast, 
now that we've kind of got a look at the big picture, we'll hone it in on uh, the clearinghouse. Um, you know, you had mentioned the clearinghouse real-time payments. It's one of the, uh, you know, infrastructures for real-time payments in the U.S. So tell us a little bit about what this is and, and what it entails. Yeah. So, um, you know, the clearinghouse is a, is a large consortium of banks in, um, in the U.S., and in 2017, they developed um, the RTP network. And so RTP itself, an acronym, is a, is a registered trademark of theirs. Um, but essentially, it's a, it's a real-time payment, and, and that's what it stands for. Um, so, you know, it's been growing in adoption since 2017. But um, the, the beauty of it is that... Um, the the funds get pulled from uh, the bank's designated RTP account. So that's uh, a little bit unique. It means that the participating FIs have to keep uh, an account um, uh, from which the, the, the transactions are, are debited. Um, the... They have some advantages around interoperability. So for example, the Zelle network uh, leverages uh, RTP, and uh, and then also you can you can attach PDFs uh, to payment requests, for example. So there's some real advantages in terms of uh, interoperability. But it's based on the ISO 2022 standard, um, and. Uh, it's the the first new payment system to be launched in the U.S. in 40 years. So this is, it's a it's a massive element. And now fast forward 2023, there's almost uh, 300 participants. Uh, participant is the word they use for like the FIs, the financial institutions that um, have agreed to participate in in the network. Um, and there's, uh, I think, as of Q4 of 2022, there were uh, almost 50 million transactions processed uh, through the system. So still small compared to some of the, the international ones like in, in China and India and so on, but um, but growing and growing quickly. And that's uh, due to the, uh, you know, the, the structure uh, and the ease of, uh, of utilization and then all the use cases that are, that are going to come out of it. Excellent. Thank you for that look at it. So I did promise we would kind of get to the uh, <laughs> the fraud risks here, and now seems like a good time to segue into uh, you know the the risky side, right? We've been giving you the 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 positive aspects and the uh, kind of growth and adoption, but let's talk about the risk management. You know, we've we've heard it said, and it's kind of a, almost a cliche at this point that you know with faster payments comes faster fraud. Um, I don't know if you would agree with that or not, but you know, uh, let's talk about the fraud risk in the real-time payment space. What do you see as key fraud risks with real-time transactions, um, and what like either emerging or current risks are you already tracking in this space? Yeah, uh, is my answer to your question would be yes and no. <laughs> yes, it, it's you know there are the same fraud risks that we see with other transactions. Um, but at the same time, there's some new fraud risks that are emerging as a result of these uh, types of transactions. You know, we, we've talked about the fact that they're cheap. So, so you know, cheap means if you think about that from a supply versus demand uh, 101 economic, that means volume. 
And when there's lots of volume, that creates opportunity for, for fraudsters. Um, you know, velocity attacks and account takeovers and, and, and so on. There's just a lot more volume to, to, to play with. These transactions are faster, uh, which means that there's actually less time for uh, banks to investigate suspicious transactions. They're, the fact that they're irrevocable um, means that the, the sender can't pull it back. Um, and so the, the transaction really can't be pulled back if it's suspicious, which is, you know, really kind of forces all parties to make sure that uh, this is a, a good transaction, but there's not much time to, to, to do it in. Um, but then also there's capabilities, like for example, you know, and not all real-time payment networks have this, but with the clearinghouses RTP, there's the capability for payees and payers to message one another. So, you know, you can message back as the payee, you can say, hey, you sent me $100, but it should have been 120. Or you can say, you can send a message with a request for payment saying, you know, you owe me $1,000 for invoice one, two, three. Um, all of that is, you know, messages that can happen inside the, uh, the RTP network. And those create opportunities, if you think about it, for, for fraudsters. If a, if a fraudster were to obtain the credentials of, of a payee, you know, imagine a landscaping company or something like that. And as the fraudster, I, I log in and now I start, I start sending messages to all the payers asking them to pay me for invoice one, two, three, you know, that's unpaid and it's past due for $1,000. Uh, sure, some of them will catch it. Um, but some of them will just, you know, set up the, uh, the the payment and make the payment happen. So, you know, really capability. Don't get me wrong; that's really important as part of the network. Um, but they're they're all what we, they're what we call threat vectors that um, that can be taken advantage of or taken advantage of, and um, and that banks and participants really need to be mindful of um, because they can they can create risk. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about you know what it takes to um, participate in this network and and some of the the fraud monitoring that takes place. So you know you mentioned messaging between the parties, which is a good feature um, and a positive one. What else does uh, it uh, take to you know to utilize this real time payments network? Does the clearinghouse require some level of fraud monitoring? Um, Anything you can you can uh, shine some light on with that? Yeah, um, maybe before I get to that, let me, let me give you a sense of the of what this could mean from a from a fraud perspective. So you know, by way of analogy, let's take a look at the UK when they launched faster payments in two thousand eight. Online banking fraud losses increased uh, almost threefold in the period of two years, and so. You know what? Why is that? It's some of the factors that I I just talked about a couple minutes ago, but really it, it's that in combination with uh, the rise that we're seeing in impersonation fraud, where an authorized user is tricked into, you know, authorizing a payment to an account that's controlled by uh, by by a fraudster. Um, you know, the impersonation fraud uh, been an epidemic level proportions in the UK 
and we're seeing the same kind of rise here in uh, in North America as well. It's often called business email compromise or business communication compromise. It's not the only form of fraud. You can also have account takeover and 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 so on. But you know the these new threat vectors plus the rise in this impersonation fraud plus um, you know uh, access to to data. Uh, through data leaks by fraudsters that are also participating in social engineering, and uh, and have their ha their hands on like new technology, like uh, the ability to fake voice or even fake video, uh, is is how and why we're seeing uh, the the fraud fraud rise so dramatically um, across all payments, but but definitely across uh, real-time payments for sure. You know, the example I like to give is, you know, imagine if you're an accounts payable employee at, at a company and you receive a voicemail from your, uh, from your CFO, your chief financial officer, telling you to, to send funds immediately to this account, uh, you know, for $1,000. I mean, it's a voicemail or, or even worse, if it's a video message, you know, the technology exists for fraudsters to do that um uh and and impersonate a person using uh deep fake voice or, or deep fake video so that's you know so, some of the some of the analogy from the uk we can use that as a crystal ball um plus all of these factors we know that uh it's it's definitely a risk in in north america so uh, all that to to answer your question does does the clearinghouse require fraud monitoring Ye yes and no um, they, their, their documentation and their, uh, their requirement network participants is that, you know, appropriate. I'm using, uh, my quotation fingers here. If you can't see me, <laughs> uh, is that appropriate screening, uh, must happen uh, prior to sending, uh, a, a transaction through, but that doesn't mean that technology is, nor does it have to happen in real time. And so, you know, I I think I think what we'll see is participants kind of easing into this uh, and seeing how much they need to do in terms of uh, fraud screening. Um, but all the responsibilities on the FIs, the sending uh, FI, particularly the the bank that uh, is responsible for sending the uh, the transaction over to the receiving uh, FI, the responsibilities on them to you know, appropriately monitor the transactions. Um, and then also if they see anything suspicious uh, or confirmed fraud, they have to report it back to uh, the TCH network. That's, that's the, that's the TCH requirements for, for participating. But, you know, as we'll probably get to here later in, in this conversation, uh, we, we don't think that's quite enough. Yeah. And, uh, it sounds like there's maybe more that that can be done in this uh, in this uh, in the fraud prevention monitoring space here. So I, you know, it in some ways it's probably an imperfect analogy, but uh, it sounds a little bit like what happened to some institutions when they they turned on uh, Zelle um, and you know struggled with some of the the fraud controls or lack thereof that were were taking place within the the Zelle system so uh maybe some some lessons learned there uh as well you know as the lessons in uh in other jurisdictions and yeah to your point in 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 the UK um 
I've, I think it's often referred to as authorized push payment fraud or authorized fraud has been a huge challenge um, and the fastest growing form of fraud uh, for the last couple of years there. And, you know, for good reason, it's very difficult to detect in a lot of ways. It's that there's no account takeover or indicators of compromised device or so on and so forth. It's the actual user using their same device, so on and so forth. It's just they've essentially been tricked into to sending the payment. So, and the irrevocability factor, you know, of these payments makes them really attractive in a lot of ways to um, bad actors in this space. Um, so with all that said, let's let's return to that last point you made, because I think it's a really important one. You know, if there is more than can be done, then sort of the the, you know, the the table stakes to participate. What does that look like? Um, what is the uh, the fraud monitoring detection, particularly in this real time payment space? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I you know what what we like to tell our customers is on the one hand like i mentioned earlier it the same stuff that you guys are doing to detect and uh, monitor and prevent fraud with all your other payment types is absolutely critical here so that means uh authenticating your users the you know the their ip address the device that they're logging in from um verifying payees making sure that they're uh, that they're valid uh, payees or beneficiaries looking for patterns statistically within the payments you know uh, a quick burst of low dollar payments for example or uh, or a, a transaction with a, an unusual dollar amount especially if paired to with a with a, a suspicious login it's all part of pattern analysis um, but also communications and policies are just as important um, and education as well. E educating, um, you know, within your company, whether that's the bank or the, or the, or the corporate uh, feeding payments into the bank, you know, making sure that there's solid education on scams and what scams look like and, and how to avoid and, and detect them. And then finally, you know, policies and, and procedures, accounts payable policies can be really, really powerful in, in detecting and, and preventing fraud. So, you know, th those are all the things that are just necessary, regardless of the, of the type of transaction that we're talking about, whether it's a, a wire or an ACH or uh, a SWIFT or, or a, a, an RTP transaction. But above and beyond that, specifically to, to RTP, there's, I've kind of boiled it down. I was trying to think through uh, in preparation for this conversation, you know, what, what are the, the top items and I boiled it down to 10, 10 key ways or best practices to, um, to detect and prevent fraud with, uh, with RTP transactions. Number one is early. You, you have to do this as early as you can in the payment life cycle. And that's important because the, the further the transaction gets down uh, the, the pipeline or the payment lifecycle, the more expensive it is to, uh, to detect and stop or do something about the, the, the transaction. And especially in the world of real-time payments where all of that timeline is, is compressed, doing it as early as possible is key. Some, some banks do it right in the payment portal where the, the, the corporate, um, is entering and approving the payment 
And then some banks do it later, uh, just before it gets uh, put on the uh, on the RTP rail. And so doing it as early as possible is uh, is highly recommended and, and key. And I'll get to that. It's also related to one of these uh, other points I'm going to make here. But number two is is you know in this information age it's all about the data that you ingest into your fraud monitoring tool and with rtp transactions there's additional data right it's not just the transaction itself who is paying who and for how much and from what account to what account but it's also um you know for example was there any chat between and the payee did uh did the pay did the payee ask for something or whether some was there some suspicious messaging um all that can be ingested and monitored by uh, next generation uh, fraud monitoring tools so it's really important to to ingest all that data um you know these transactions are based off of iso 2022 and so they contain rich structured data elements that can all be uh, ingested, uh, you know, in a in a very conforming way, um, and studied and analyzed by by fraud engines. So, pulling in all that data is absolutely critical. Oh, and and one other piece of data I forgot to mention is, and banks often overlook this: is not just the transaction itself the monetary transaction, but the login associated with it, who logged in to approve the payment and uh, and create the payment, but also the service actions or the user actions that happened inside the system. So for example, imagine the power of knowing that it was a somewhat suspicious login and the amount for the transaction is somewhat unusual, but in and of themselves, those two don't trip the alarm bells. But on top of it, we see that the user either today or yesterday or even maybe the day before in the system, they changed the account number for the payee, the beneficiary. You know, combined together, those three pieces of information are extremely powerful for, uh, for detecting fraud uh, in, in a short period of time, which takes me to number three, um, self-explanatory, but fast. It, it the detection has to be done quickly. So you ingest all the data very quickly. You have to analyze it quickly and you have to respond back in real time um, on whether or not the, the the transaction is suspicious, which is also my number four. Um, all of this does have to happen in real time, given the you know the the speed uh, at which these transactions are are going through the entire life cycle. Um, the ingestion of data, the analysis, the uh, reporting back and stopping action, or even challenging the user, all must be done in real time. If the, the user looks suspicious for some reason, you have to be able to, in real time, challenge the user with you know, a, a, a token or, or additional question to make sure that it's the, the, the real user. And you have to stop the payment to give the investigators time to investigate the transaction if it if it looks uh, suspicious so that's uh where did i land off uh i ended off at four <laughs> so number five um machine learning 
you, you know, it's a, it's, it's definitely a buzzword in the industry, but it's really important, uh, not just with these transactions, but all transactions. Um, machine can help banks do a couple of different things. One, prioritize the alerts. You know, if you're an investigator, for example, and you're coming in and you have a, a thousand alerts to investigate in one day or, or you know, even a couple of days, it's it's absolutely overwhelming. And so machine learning can learn over uh, over time and really suggest to investigators which ones to start with, which ones are the most likely to be fraud, which ones are the most suspicious. And, and the machine learning models can also detect complex patterns that, um, you know, that's rules and statistical analysis alone can't, can't do. So machine learning is, uh, is important, especially as th this channel is growing, the machine learning models, um, as we feed them data over time, will just get smarter and smarter and smarter and be able to detect uh, patterns that, you know, we, we haven't necessarily seen before. Um, number six, really important to look across payment types. It's it'll be tempting for for banks just to look at the RTP transactions in isolation. Just, you know, is the amount suspicious? Is the beneficiary suspicious? But that's really not enough. You have to look across all payment types. Like for example, if you know ABC landscaping company has been paid a thousand dollars a month for the last uh, 15 years via ACH, and now all of a sudden there's an RTP transaction for $10,000 to the same exact beneficiary, same company, same account, um, but it's uh, but it's done via RTP. You, you won't know that if you're just looking at the, at the RTP transaction. You have to look at the full history to look at um, you know how this payee or what other and patterns have happened via ACH and wire and checks and SWIFT because by seeing across all of those payment types, you can detect patterns or even vice versa. You can, you can avoid calling something suspicious if it's not at all suspicious because you can see that, that pattern on their payment. It's, it's absolutely uh, critical uh, and, and one of the best practices. Number seven getting there on my list, um, configurable settings. Um, and what do I mean by that and why that's important? Well, we talked about 24 seven and 365 days a year. Banks typically employ investigators and investigators will work, you know, they're eight to six or nine to five or whatever, the, whatever they work. And they might have a couple of regions doing it and the East Coast and West Coast. But that is not going to cover 365 days a year, 24-7. And so you have to have a fraud system that can adapt based on the time at which the transaction is being sent. So for example, you might want to set your system to say, you know, if it's if the transaction is suspicious and it happens during these operating hours, then I want you to hold the transaction uh, so that my investigators can investigate it before it continues down the, the pipeline. But you might say if it happens outside of the operating hours, then 
if it's below a certain dollar threshold, let it go. If it's above a certain dollar threshold, do this with it. You see where I'm getting to is you can you can really adapt your workflows based of the 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 time of day and your and the way you have your uh, operations set up. Uh, that's really important in uh, real time transactions like these. Number eight, um, a, a mistake that I see a lot of banks make. You know, I'm I'm interfacing with banks on a on a daily basis uh, about their fraud programs, uh, and one of the biggest mistakes I see them make is what I call a set it and forget it uh, mentality. And it's you know banks will invest and pay hundreds of thousand dollars for a, a fraud system, and they will tune it and they'll make sure that it's uh, you know all set to catch uh, the fraud, and and that it matches what we call their risk appetite, the number of investigators they have and alerts that they can handle and those kinds of things. But uh, you know if you just set it up and then kind of forget about it and just assume that it's there and it will work forever. That's how banks get into trouble because trends change, uh, fraud use cases change, technology changes, uh, risk appetite changes, uh, and so we highly recommend tuning uh, the what we call the direction, the detection parameters on an annual basis to just make sure that it's uh, it's regularly tuned. And then number nine, I'm almost done. Two more. <laughs> nine. Yeah, uh, especially with a program like the Ringhouse has the uh, for RTP, where they are building uh, alerts into the network. So what they plan on doing is notifying the participants if there's any fraud. So for example, if they detect, you know, a payment going out to John Smith. Sorry if there's a John Smith out there listening to this uh, this conversation, but. If there's a confirmed fraudulent transaction to a, a John Smith account that is known to be fraudulent, then they will message that out to all their participants. Um, and today that's kind of loose and it doesn't happen very often. Plan on formalizing that and having you know automated messages that go out that can be ingested. And so integrating with the network um, in a way that you can ingest those messages and build them automatically into your uh, your fraud detection parameters is absolutely so you can, you know, the moment you get that message, uh, you can stop all transactions to, to, to John Smith. Again, apologies to, to John. Um, and then last but not least, I would say, uh, you know, find a solution that you can implement quickly. Um, and in this day and age, that means in the cloud uh, that, that really minimizes the, the cost of operations and speeds up the, the time at which you can implement and upgrade and so on. So I, you know, that's probably more than you were, what you were hoping for there, Brian, but those would be my 10 <laughs> best practices for, uh, for detecting and preventing fraud with these kinds of transactions. No, thank you for that. It was very robust and detailed, and I, I appreciate it. It's absolutely uh, exactly what uh, what we were hoping to get to, and we love to provide that kind of practical and uh, in-depth guidance to the audience because I think that's what's going to allow them to kind of take it back and uh, put it into uh, implementation within their program. So very much appreciated. And yeah, I mean, listening to you, uh, you broke it down very nicely into 10 steps, but uh, definitely not easy. I'll say that. It's, uh, it's while it is 
you know, while you can leverage a lot of your previous programs, um, you know, you do need to, you clearly do need to do some work to get it uh, up to the level of um, real-time payments and, and you know, uh, understand the nuances you're dealing with with these new payment rails. So quite a lot of effort needs to uh, go into getting this right. But, you know, return to the original tenor of the conversation, the benefits to the end user and the consumer, as well as the institutions in many ways are can be quite high when done correctly. So, um, Eric, very much appreciate the conversation and the insight and uh, looking forward to uh, all those that do participate in the system, bring on real-time payments, uh, you know, doing so in a thoughtful and uh, measured way that builds into the fraud controls we talked about here. So thanks very much for being on the Financial Crimecast. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And hope to, uh, you know, have this conversation again in a in a couple of years where we talk about how successful it all went. So <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And for those interested in more financial crime conversations, uh, all the episodes of the Financial Crime Cast are available on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and, and several other places where your favorite podcast lives. So please tune back in uh, to a future episode. Have a great rest of the day. And thanks for listening, everyone.